Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and it's, uh, what it teaches us and what we can learn from it to be reassured um, and comforted, um, to gain knowledge of your perfect sovereign plan. Um, I pray that you would bless our time this morning looking at the intermediate state, that it would be a time giving us comfort, hope, um, excitement, um, and that as we understand the way that you built this world, that we would um, seek to submit ourselves to those ways, um, to follow you and to live more for you. Bless our time, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So, again, we're talking about the intermediate state. And I put a little timeline up here just so we can kind of think through this a little bit. Last week, Craig talked about death. Um, death, by the way, is not natural, right? It is foreign to God's original creation. When God created Adam and Eve in the garden, there was no death. Uh, death came because of the fall. And in the eternal state, there will also be no death. And so death is a temporary thing that happens after the fall and before the eternal state. But the question is, when we die now, what happens? What happens during this time period when people die? And one question would be, here's the cross. Make that a little bigger. Here's the cross. Does do different things happen before and after the cross? Um, in, in, to death. In in relation to death, when we die, somebody who died before the cross, does something different happen to them than something happened to us? And we're talking about believers here. Right. Unbelievers, is it the same thing? Is it different? Um, but does the cross make a difference in regard to what happens when we die. Um, and so let's, let's look at this. I put a quote um, from Wayne Grudem at the top. And it's, it's just, to me, interesting to think about death and the, in the intermediate state. And, but let's read this. It says, Death is a temporary cessation of bodily life. All right? So you're we have bodily life. Hey, guys. Um, we have life in our bodies right now, right? Nobody's, everybody's alive this morning. You might not have your coffee, but you're still alive. Um, we have... Thanks, Dave. Um, <laughs> we have life. But when we die, there is a temporary cessation of life in the body, right? Because here, before the eternal state, is resurrection. Resurrection. We will be resurrected, our, our bodies will be resurrected from the grave, from the dead, to be reunited with the immaterial part of us, whether you want to call that soul or spirit, 
will be reunited with the immaterial part of it. And during the eternal state, it's not going to be some ethereal sitting in clouds flapping around with angels. Um, It's going to be a physical state. I actually don't like calling this heaven. I like calling it the eternal state or the new heavens and new earth um, because it's going to be a lot like this except perfect. Um, A lot like this was, um, the the Garden of Eden. Um, But... In that time, our bodies will be reunited with our, our material parts will be reunited with our immaterial parts, and we will be forever in this state with no death, and our physical body and our spiritual body will be reunited. So death is a temporary cessation of life in the body. It's not death of the soul. Every person is an eternal creature, right? Whether they end up in heaven or in hell, they are an eternal soul. And so death is temporary cessation of bodily life. That's important. And a separation of the soul from the body. Once a believer has died, though his or her physical body remains on earth and is buried, at the moment of death, the soul or spirit of the believer goes immediately into the presence of God with rejoicing. Um, And I mean, we could just... Camp on that and stop with that. Um, but you know, it's right. good to look at scripture. Yeah. Of course, I read a book a couple of years ago called "Heaven Is a Place on Earth." Okay. I think it was by a guy named Whitmer, mm. and his whole theory was that he was kind of the same thing that you were referring to in the eternal state: is that, that heaven will be like earth in its perfect form, yeah. as mm-hmm. it should have been. Mm-hmm. Do you, who Whitmer? Dwayne Whitmer, maybe. Dwayne. Oh, I'm not sure. I'm, but it, that's the name of it. Heaven is a place on earth. Yeah. Okay. I'll okay. have to find it and bring it to you. Yeah. It's, um, there's another book called Heaven by Randy Alcorn, which is really good. Um, it's pretty thick, but it reads really well, and you can just flip to the section you want, uh, and it's really helpful. He also has just a little pamphlet version. It looks like a, you know, like a gospel tract type size. So if you're not comfortable with a thick book, grab that little version and flip through it. Davey. Yeah, question, Elias. Uh, so when, when we before our resurrection, we die and our souls go to be with Christ. Is there? A, are you saying there's going to be a different type of life with the soul than when the body comes, or is it basically the same? Ask that again. We die now, right? Right. We die now, and our spirit goes to be with the Lord. Yes. Right. That life with the Lord is, is it different than when our bodies come and with is 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 our life with God here different than our life with God here? Yes. In in some ways, yes. Okay. In other ways, no. I mean, we we get to enjoy the presence of God right. immediately here. There, there's not like a, yeah, it's gonna be. Uh, there's not like a you only see eighty percent of God. Well, no, but, I, I knew that, but I'm just I'm just thinking, you know, eternal state with our bodies. Good. And then, but but we're in our spiritual state. We're still with the Lord. I just was wondering if it's going to be all the same. To me, I thought it was going to be all the same, but maybe I'm wrong. Let's well, let's let me see if I can answer that shortly. But I think our study tonight is going to be uh, today. This morning okay. is going to be helpful. Yeah, it's going to be all the way tonight. Um, <laughs> but because here's the difference: what happens here, and we're not talking about all mill, pre mill, post mill, pre trib, post trib, etc. We're we're talking about 
from the current state to the eternal state, what happens in between here? What major important event happens? Huh. That's a vague question. There's a bunch of there's a bunch of important events. I'm talking about the new heavens and the new earth. We will live here on a new heavens and a new earth. And that's going to be different than our eternal state here. So we will be experiencing the presence of God before this point if we die. And then when we get to here, we're going to be alive in our resurrected bodies. That's going to be different. Um, in the new heavens and the new earth. Um, and so, yeah, that, that's going to be a one major difference between those two. Um, so I, I think it's... I find looking at things on a timeline helpful to think about the differences. But also notice something that I think this helps with is that death only happens here. Um, there's going to be some people who are here who don't die and who just enter in the eternal state. Yeah. And, and they're not going to experience that separation of the soul from the body. They're going to just experience a, a change uh, into the, the eternal state, um, the glorified state. Uh, but death only happens, it, death is not a natural thing. You don't have to die. Some people are going to go right over here. Um, they're going to be alive right when this happens, and they're going to jump into the eternal state. Uh, and we're not getting into the breakdown. We'll, we'll break that down in a, in a few weeks. Yeah, you were saying in the resurrection they won't experience the, the separation from the soul, from the body, but it's not the same body. It's a, it's a glorified body. Okay, it's a glorified body. So there's, there's going to be a change there. There will be a change, right, but they're not going to die. In, in, they're not going to experience death. Yeah. But, but I don't know if we can say that our soul is going to be yanked out of the body we have and put in a new body, and that's what the glorified state is. Um, that didn't happen to Jesus. He had the same body. Uh, so that's... What's that? His body died. His, well, yeah. His body did die. Good observation. Yeah. <laughs> so... It does say we'll be fully sanctified. Here, we will be. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll get in... We'll, let's talk about the intermediate state today. And then uh, Craig can deal with what happens. <laughs> <laughs> what happens to our bodies if we just if we just poof, don't die and we just make this transition? Um, so, question: What happens when people die? And there's a lot of different parts and, and portions to this. But what happens when people die? Um, letter A in your notes: The souls of believers go immediately into God's presence, uh, and that's a comfort to us. But let's look at the Word of God. Go to 2 Corinthians 5.8. And we'll be flipping around because this is a topical discussion. But 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 8. It says, says this. Yes, we are of good courage and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Um, so what's Paul's expectation here? 
We're going to be away from the body. And what's that mean? At home with the Lord. There, there is, in Paul's understanding, as he's inspired by the Holy Spirit here, there is an immediate transition. If we are absent from the body, we are present with the Lord. That's, and that, that should be our understanding as well. Turn to Philippians 1. Somebody read uh, one. Twenty-three. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. Oh, twenty-two. Yeah, no, that oh, that was it. That was it. Oh, okay. Yeah, I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. So he understands that when he departs, when he dies, he's going to be with Christ. That's his expectation. Okay, this is Paul. Elias, you know, this is just Paul's understanding. Turn to Luke 23. That's, by the way, not a valid argument, um, if that's your thought. Oh, this is just Paul. Well, Holy Spirit inspired Paul. Um, But how about Jesus? Uh, Turn to Luke 23. Funny enough, Jesus and Paul agree. Luke 23, you guys know this passage, verse 43. Somebody read that. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. Who is speaking? Jesus. Jesus, how do you know that? It's red. (laughs) (laughs) It's red? But what about the words in the text? Jesus answered. And Jesus answered. And said, uh, "Who's he talking to? The thief on the cross. How do you know that? You read the context. Okay. All right. Good. And so Jesus says to this thief on the cross, "Truly, truly, I say to you, someday you'll be with me in paradise. No. Today. Today. Today you'll be with me in paradise. Jesus hadn't died yet." Jesus had not yet died. Um, but that day, they would. Yeah. Both of them would. And they would be, this man repented. This man understood the lordship of Christ. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He confessed his sins. He repented and he understood the lordship of Christ. It's, it's pretty cool. And he said, today you will be with me in paradise. Um, and that, that's the idea of heaven. Is, again, similar Similar to this, but they will be in God's presence. They will be in paradise that day. There's no waiting. There's no uh, time period. God's not going to leave our dead bodies in the earth forever. Um, So this is kind of the physical aspect. When Christ returns, our souls are going to be reunited with our bodies. Our bodies are going to be raised from the dead, and we will live with Christ eternally. So right now, believers go into God's presence at the moment of death, immediately. That's comforting. A number of us have lost loved ones, right? Where are they? If they trusted in who Jesus was and what he did, they're with the Lord right now. It's comforting. Um, Letter uh, number one. The Bible does not teach the doctrine of purgatory. 
Um, purgatory is a Roman Catholic teaching. And purgatory is the idea of... Um, I'm going to read this quote from a Roman Catholic. <laughs> and there's some kind of Roman Catholic terminology in here. If you don't understand all the words, just understand the idea. Suffrages operate in such a matter that the satisfactory value of the good works is offered to God in substitution for the temporal punishment for sins, which the poor souls still have to render. The souls still have to render punishment for sins. It operates by way of remission of temporal punishments due to sins. So this idea of purgatory that Roman Catholics would say that when you die... Even if you were a good Catholic, you go to purgatory because your sins have not been fully paid for yet and you need to suffer a little bit in order to fully pay for your sins. What's some problems with that? Works righteousness. You yourselves. Yeah. It's not... The atonement of Christ is not sufficient. And that's the thing that really gets me. I'm sorry. Is there some... They look, I find no biblical reference for that, yeah. but what do they base that on? Yeah, sure, sure. Um, they, okay. they find it mainly in the Apocrypha. Okay. Um, yeah. And, and really, they, <laughs> they added the Apocrypha in yeah. to Scripture, the canon of Scripture, because they couldn't find it in Scripture. They find some various, um, what they call support in Scripture, but it doesn't actually support it. And, and um, we can kind of get into that uh, maybe another time. But that's, that's where they find it. They don't find it in Scripture. Um, and I didn't put any verses there because there, you know, there are no support of it. Also, we, it's because it's works-based, too. They, they, yeah. They believe in works. Yeah, yeah it is, it is works-based. You, you go to purgatory, and you have to suffer to pay... For, for that. But so two questions I have is what happens to people who don't die and they just enter the eternal state? What, where do their additional sins get paid for? They and, and what like what happens if somebody dies an hour before? They don't have enough time to you know uh, you, you die and then Jesus comes back and the eternal state happens and you only had an hour in there. We'll see you in a couple hundred years. I, you know it's it's really it doesn't make logical sense. First of all, like you can argue scripture with logic, you can argue scriptural points with logic. That's okay. Um, but also, Christ's work was not sufficient. If when we die, we have to go and pay, suffer for our sins a little bit, however much it is, Christ's sacrifice was not sufficient, and that is not okay. That is not okay. Turn to um, Hebrews. I don't, but okay. There we go. And I'm I'm gonna um, Hebrews chapter ten. We'll read this in a second, but I want to read um, this this quote here. A more serious problem with this doctrine, the, doc, the, the doctrine, doctrine just means teaching. Doctrine is 
if it's a Roman Catholic doctrine, it's not correct. The word doctrine just means teaching. It's not like something that's actually true. Does that make sense? So a, a problem with this doctrine, the doctrine of the Roman Catholic doctrine of purgatory, is that it teaches we must add something to the redemptive work of Christ and that his redemptive work for us was not enough to pay the penalty for all our sins. Who was Christ? Was he not God? Was his death not sufficient? This is is what the Catholics do. And this is what any, any, any religion that claims the claim of Christian, claims the name of Christian, Will, will do. They will um, lower the value of Christ's redemptive work and they will lower the authority of Scripture. That's what they're going to do. That's what the Jehovah's Witnesses do. That's what the Mormons do. That's what any uh, religion that claims the name of Christian is going to say, no, the Bible doesn't have full authority and the, and the work of Christ was not sufficient. Uh, and that's what the Catholics do. Hebrews 10 and so much of Hebrews talks about this. Um, verse, the end of chapter 9 is excellent, but we'll just focus here. Um, Hebrews 10, I'm going to read 10 through 14. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Once for all. Not once for eh, almost everything, but you've got to pay some yourself. Once for all. Verse 11. He's, he's comparing him to the priests. Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies would be made a footstool at his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. It's his one death on the cross. It's, his, it's the, the one act of offering that Jesus made that has perfected, made mature, made complete for all time those who are being sanctified. It's not a, it got us most of the way there type of thing. And then we pay a, a relatively little amount in purgatory. Christ's death was once for all sufficient. Um, and, and this is huge in scripture. Um, and, and so the, the, the doctrine of purgatory doesn't fit with a biblical understanding of um, the death of Christ, the substitutionary death atoning death of Christ. Just part of that, it, it says clearly it's pointed, it's pointed for man to die once and then the judgment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's nine, Hebrews 9.27. Yeah. Would, would you read that? Hebrews 9.27? Yeah. Uh, just as man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment. It seems very clear. That there's not like you die and then you... Right. You die and then you go through some purgatory and then you face judgment. Um, that's, yeah, Hebrews 9... 27. And that, that also talks about when we die, we, um, we're, we're not dying again. We're not having to suffer again. Um, so, yeah, that's a, that's a good one as well, Vic. Thank you. So, moving on to number two. The Bible does not teach the doctrine of 
soul sleep. Turn to um, Ecclesiastes nine ten, and it's interesting. There's there's a numbers who a number of people who will teach this, and I was talking to some Jehovah's Witnesses long ago and asking them about this, and, and here's here's where they went. They went to Ecclesiastes nine ten, um, but if you're in the uh, Berean, what do we call it? Berean workshop. If you're in the Berean workshop, um, the hermeneutics class, if you're not, I want to offer it again. Uh, so you, you guys should all come, maybe next year. Um, you you got to understand the context. You got to understand the genre. You got to understand the the what the book is aiming at. They'll, they will go here, talking about soul sleep. First of all, what is soul sleep? Before we get into this. What, all right, we got some no ideas. We got some mumbles. What is like when you die? You're just in limbo. Nothing's going on until you come awake. And you, like you're sleeping. You're sleeping. And you wake up. Yeah, yeah. The the idea of soul sleep is let's say we are here, and we die, and we're just asleep. We have no conscious. We're not conscious at all. The next thing we know is we wake up, and. We're at the eternal state. You know, Jesus is making a new heavens and a new earth. That's the idea of soul sleep. And people get that idea from a couple different places. One is Ecclesiastes 9.10, or ideas like this. Yeah. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. Sheol is the, the um, death, the underworld, um, where, we, where people go when they die. And so what is written here is he's saying, when we go, in Sheol, there's no work, there's no thought, right? no consciousness, no knowledge, no wisdom. You're just dead. And so they, they go to a passage like this, and they say, see, it's soul sleep. Um, or you just cease to exist. Um, but what is the context of Ecclesiastes? What's his premise? He's he's yeah he's looking at life where under the sun. Under the sun, yeah. He's looking at life under the sun, and life under the sun. If we're just looking at life without God, and God doesn't exist, and and the eternal there's there's nothing spiritual about life it's just physical and we're looking at life under the sun we see somebody from our perspective who dies there's no life there they're not thinking there's no wisdom there's no work that's the perspective that he's writing the book from is life under the sun Um, but Solomon the author of Ecclesiastes knows that, that life is not actually like that he's just saying if we look at life under the sun that's what we see yeah, Martha? Yeah, isn't Sheol most often, I actually did a word study on that word once, it's almost always used to refer to the to, um, place you don't want to go when you die. It's sort of like an equivalent of hell, although sometimes it could mean like hell on earth as opposed to hell when you're dead. It's, it is the, the place of the dead. Um, I, I don't know. I'm not it's certain. Mm-hmm. It's never referred to as there's no place a positive place. 
output. It always is, you know, um, when James talks about being in chill, it's like, you know, being in health. It's always like our equivalent of health, which is the most accurate English translation of the word. Um. As a, as a positive thing. I don't know. Craig, do you have any? The semantic range on it, it does contain times. In the context, you would say that it would be the equivalent of what the New Testament call hell. But there are some times <coughs> that it is also more neutral uh, mm -hmm. of uh, the aspect of um, where the soul goes after death. So, there are, there, so, so within the range, you have to go by context, right? Is it context of speaking... The general meaning is where the soul, the, the, the talking, is talking about the soul after death, and then in some places it does speak in those those negative terms um, of, of judgment, that there's a judgment aspect to it, but it's not always. Sometimes it's just generally referring to soul mm -hmm. after death. Yeah, it didn't say positive ever. Right, so each, each instance we need to take and understand yeah. what is this instance referring to, and he's basically just, in this context, he's talking about where where souls go afterward. Um, I was going to say, that sounds a lot like people today who yeah. have no respect of God, have mm -hmm. no concept of, of his truths, and they just hear today, gone tomorrow. Yeah. yeah. And, right. It's a popular yeah. thought yeah. And yeah. Yeah. people today. Right. And a lot of people... Yeah. A lot of people have just an atheistic worldview. Yeah. You know, they're not looking at and understanding that God has made this world, and it is physical and spiritual. Um, but, so. but you're not saying based on this verse that when a non-believer dies, they just go into this state of nothingness? I mean, correct. That's correct. I, I am saying that people will argue that right. from okay. this verse. Yeah. People will argue from this verse that, see... Yeah. This verse says that there's no knowledge in Sheol. There's no knowledge. When people die and, and the place of their souls, there's no knowledge, there's no work, there's no nothing. That's what people will argue. But you have to understand the book of Ecclesiastes is talking about life viewed from a, with, without God. And if you think of life without God and we are just viewing things in our physical body, looking at that corpse, if you will, they're not doing anything, um, but that's that's the the um, the premise of how he's arguing, how he's speaking in Ecclesiastes. And life is not simply under the sun. Praise God, right? Yeah. There is um, there's a Shane and Shane song um, that talks about get over the sun. It's it's talking about Ecclesiastes, and it's you know we need to look to the sun. Uh, the S-O-N. Um, we need to get over the S-U-N and look to the S-O-N um, because life is more than just under the sun. There is an eternal aspect. There's a spiritual aspect. There is a um, divine aspect of life. And what we know from the other verses that we've looked at is when we die, we are immediately in God's presence. There is no soul sleep. Um, they'll also talk about... Um, in the New Testament, it talks often about um, death as sleep. Oh, they're sleeping. But that's not to say that they're soul sleeping. It's just to communicate that this is a temporary thing. Just like our actual sleep is a temporary thing, death is a temporary thing. Um, turn to First Thessalonians 4.13. 
We end at 9.50 or 9.45, Craig? Okay. First Thessalonians 4.13. <laughs> if I just keep Craig in here, then we, right. nobody, nobody can preach, right? Uh, First Thessalonians 4.13. I, my turning fingers are slow this morning. And it says this. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who have fallen asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. So, okay, they're sleeping, right? It's just soul sleep. That's what, that's what Paul says. He says they're asleep. No, again, he's, he's just using that as communicating. He's using sleep not as an actual sleep. Um, but just like Jesus, when he was talking about um, was it the boy who had fallen asleep? He knew he had just fallen asleep. Uh, he talked about Lazarus who had fallen asleep. He knew he hadn't just fallen asleep as like actual sleep. Um, he's just saying this is a temporary thing. In a sense, death is a light thing for believers. It's a light thing because in the eternal state, we will have true life, true um, uniting of our physical and our spiritual aspects of ourselves. Um, so there is no soul sleep. Um, again, soul sleep is a state of unconscious existence. And the next thing that we're conscious of is when Christ returns and raises us to eternal life. Um, scripture, again, speaks of the state of death as sleep, but... Uh, it's it's simply a metaphorical expression. It's used to indicate that death is only temporary for Christians, um, just as regular sleep is temporary. Um, if you well, it's, uh, if you want to write down, oh, it's there, John eleven twelve through thirteen. We're not going to go there right now, but that's talking when Jesus is talking about Lazarus, and he says, now Jesus had spoken of his death. They thought. He meant taking rest in sleep because Jesus said, oh, he's fallen asleep. Okay. Yeah, yeah, Lazarus went... <laughs> I always think about... Okay, Lazarus is over here. Yeah. Um, Lazarus goes and he's in... God's presence, and then Jesus says, "Lazarus, come forth." And he's like, "My, this is awesome up here." <laughs> Lazarus, come forth. <laughs> and so he comes back into. <laughs> so he comes back, and he's like, you know, got his grave clothes on. He walks out of the grave. Man, he was great up there. Oh, why'd you have to call me back, Jesus? Um, Yeah, he didn't write a book about it, did he? <laughs> no. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's no <laughs> Lazarus. I went to heaven and came back. Um, book or movie or anything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Question, the next question is, what about Old Testament 
believers, right? People who had faith in God, um, faith in the coming Christ, did they enter immediately into God's presence? Um, Or did they go into what's called limbo during this time? And and it was kind of a, a holding tank, if you will, until the cross of Christ. Um, and again, limbo or limbus patrum is uh, especially common in Roman Catholic theology, although some Christians, Lutherans, adopted it, but it is not biblical. Um, we don't actually have a lot of scriptural references that say, yep, this Old Testament saint is in the presence of God. Um, we don't have as many clear scriptures of that, but any of them that that do kind of indicate it, they seem to indicate the same thing happens to Old Testament saints as happened to uh, as happened to us after the cross. Um, they point in that direction that there is an immediate conscious enjoyment of the presence of God, not a time of waiting away from God's presence. There's uh, Genesis five twenty four. Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, it's not super clear, but it's an indication that God, God takes him, brought him into his presence. Um, He's bringing him with him. Um, Elijah, um, he was not taken to a place on the border of hell. He wasn't taken to some limbo place, but he went up by a whirlwind into heaven. That's what it says. That's 2 Kings 2.11. Um, but then also, um, if you look at the Mount of Transfiguration, Matthew 17, you see Moses and Elijah are there. Uh, and they're, they're essentially, they're talking with Jesus. Something that, that really helped me is looking at uh, Matthew 22. Turn to Matthew 22. Matthew chapter 22, verse 32. And this is when Jesus I'm going to um, well we'll just the context is that Jesus is having a conversation with the Sadducees who don't believe in the resurrection and Jesus verse 29 says you're wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God for in the resurrection they neither marry or are given in marriage but are like angels in heaven as for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read? So he's, Jesus is saying the dead, yes, they do get resurrected. And here's his argument. Have you not read what was said to you by God? <laughs> it was said to you guys. Haven't you read it? I am the God. I, I am. Jesus believes in the inspiration of scripture. He's talking about the, the verb tense. I am. That's present tense. I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God spoke that to Moses after Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were dead. (coughs) He said, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, God of Jacob. He is not God of the dead, but of the living. And when the crowd heard it, they were astonished at his teaching. And so, Old Testament saints, when they die, they're not just in this, either this soul sleep thing, this unconscious thing, this limbo thing. No, they are... They, they are essentially with God. They are alive. They were resurrected. 
um, not to the eternal state, but they were alive. And so Jesus is, is arguing here that these Old Testament saints are alive right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so, again, it, it seems likely that Old Testament believers entered immediately into heaven. They enjoyed fellowship with God upon death. Um, there, there might have been, we don't really know, there, there might be some additional blessing. It's like, okay, the cross of Christ, uh, the work of God has been accomplished at the cross. There might have been some additional blessing. It's, it's not clear. Um, but we do know that, or we can make a fair case to say that they were in the presence of God um, because uh, Romans 3, which we'll, pr- we'll get to in a few weeks, talks about how... Um, God passed over former sins looking to the the death and uh, substitutionary sacrifice of Christ. Um, We'll skip over this next part. Um, Should we pray for the dead? No. Um, Why? They have... The the decision has been made. Um, If they have trusted the Lord in this life, then... um, then they, that decision has been made, and they are with God in his presence. If they have not, the decision has been made. Um, and Doesn't that Hebrews 9.27 verse where you said it earlier, it's appointed uh, for a man once to die and then comes judgment. That is kind of the indication where there's no second chances. Yeah. That is, you, you die once, and then comes the judgment. You don't have some sort of um, way to make it up. And, and um, well, my, my mother started believing in. Uh, she was a non-believer her whole life, and she started believing in the Sylvia Brown afterlife hmm. kind of thing, hmm. and bought into her books and everything. And it was, it was uh, in a conversation with her with this very verse that got her to trust in in the God of the Bible and become a believer. Cool, cool. Uh, let me just read a couple more things and then we'll wrap up because it's, it's time. Um, the souls of unbelievers who go to a place of punishment and eternal separation for the presence of God, um, it's no good to pray for them because their, their final destiny has been settled uh, by their sin and by their rebellion against God in this life. Oftentimes we desire this. We desire some sort of second... Um, chance but that's that's coming from our hearts it's not coming from the word of god Uh, yeah it's to make us feel better we we need to trust that god is just and god is um sovereign and god is loving and kind and he has given people um like we heard last week the week before that romans they know that god exists and they're denying him um and so, just lastly, the souls of unbelievers go, immediate, go, to, uh, go immediately to eternal punishment. Uh, there's a number of verses there. I have them listed. Um, you can study those. Um, again, a, um, let me just say as we, as we wrap up, um, there's, there's a... Uh, 
I, I took this outline and content mainly from uh, Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology, and at the end he has questions for personal application. It's, it's this fat book like this, <laughs> Systematic Theology, all this doctrine, and then he has questions at the end for personal application. Don't buy into the lie that doctrine is not practical, that doctrine doesn't apply to your life. It does. And let's look at a couple of these questions and just think about them in your head um, as we close. He's got six questions. I'm going to read three of them. Have you thought very much about the possibility of your own death? Has there been an element of fear connected with those thoughts? What, if anything, do you fear about death? Do you think that these fears have come from the influence of the world around you or from Scripture? How would the teachings of Scripture encourage you to deal with these fears? So see there, what we've learned here and last week, they apply to our lives, and they help us with our life. They're practical. Doctrine is practical. Second question, has this chapter changed your feelings? It's talking about the chapter, which is actually what, uh, a combination of death and the intermediate state. Has it changed your feelings about your own death in any way? Can you honestly contemplate it now as something that will bring you nearer to Christ and increase your own trust in God and faithfulness to him? How would you express your hopes in regard to death? And then one more question. If death itself is viewed as part of the process of sanctification, then how should we view the process of growing older and weaker in this world? Is that the way the world views aging? What about you? So I just wanted to read those because doctrine is practical. As we think through what Craig taught last week and what we heard this week, they, they should apply to our lives. Uh, and they should encourage us and help direct us in the right mindset and the right actions. Um, let me pray. <coughs> Father, thank you for your word and what it teaches us. Um, I pray that we would trust you. Um, God, there is... Um, question in our lives probably about um, some people who have died uh, in our lives and we don't know where they are Um, but God I I just pray that we would trust that you are the one who makes that decision and you are good and you are sovereign and you are just Um, and we don't understand it all but I pray that in all our ways we would um, trust in you um, and that you would make our path straight you would cause us to walk in your truths Teach us from your word. Bless us as we go into the service. May we sing with our hearts. May we fellowship with others. May we listen and submit to the preaching and teaching of your word. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. Thanks, Corey.